to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's show guest is Duncan Turner. Duncan is the general partner at SOSV and the managing director of the Hacks Accelerator and Hacks China programs in Shenzhen, China. You probably recognize Duncan from his feature in the Wired Magazine's documentary called Shenzhen, the Silicon Valley of Hardware. Duncan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jay. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we're sitting here in Hong Kong uh, separately <laughs> recording, <laughs> and uh, I believe there's a pretty big typhoon coming but i think it's actually going to miss us so that might also be affecting some of this internet connectivity but anyhow um yeah, it's good to have you on and uh you know i i um i'm i'm very very uh, honored to have you on the show because you've done a lot of of good things for the ecosystem here and particularly in china so um for our audience that's listening in maybe you could give a little quick background you have quite a, a diverse one uh you know a, a designer entrepreneur startup founder now running a vc and an accelerator so maybe you could give us a, a little rundown of your background yeah sure so um yeah like you say i originally studied industrial design and engineering um in london and um, kind of stumbled on China by by chance for like a two-week project, um, basically helping out when I was kind of consulting for another company. And uh, that kind of turned into kind of two months and then nine months. And then uh, well, that's, well, that was about 16 years ago. And um, <laughs> I spent most of my time here. So um, I founded a business. Um, we raised money. Um, and then, uh, you know, a lot of the challenges that we had were in China. So ended up moving myself and our R&D team out to China just because we found it's much quicker to develop on the hardware we were, we were working on at the time. Um, I um, built that business up. Um, it got rather large, had a few um, catastrophes along the way. That then um, <clears throat> made me reassess things. I, I actually um, went to work for a company I'd always admired called IDEO. It's mm -hmm. a global consulting firm. Um, so I was helping them with a lot of the consumer engagement projects for either kind of, you know, Chinese companies, like big, large factories that were trying to build their own brands or Western brands that were looking to enter into, um, enter into the China market. Um, through my experiences there, I, I met um, SOSV, um, which is the fund which, which, which funds all of the operations for Hacks, China Accelerator in Shanghai, IndieBio in uh, San Francisco, RebelBio in London, and Foodex in New York. Um, and, um, yeah, I was incredibly inspired by what they were doing I, initially i was like there's no way you can do that there's no possible way this could work and um, i was there as a mentor <laughs> for the first for the first ever hacks accelerator at that time it's called accelerator that's um, right yeah and um i was completely wrong like man I, like i met this when i was when i when i first went there i met this uh these guys that were working on this project called make block which is basically like if, if any of the listeners have ever used something called meccano back in the day it was a kind of like a lego robotics it was a this was a sort of high tolerance connected version of that right um and a couple of others one called nomaku um a couple of others that stood out and um you know i stayed in contact with them because i thought it was interesting i was really kind of obsessed with startups and felt like i'd kind of left really where my passion was going to ido which was really in hardware startups right and um you know make block 
just did their Series C financing. Um, Amazing. Um, they're um, on an absolute rocket ship. Um, you know, Nomaku is still going. I'm not exactly sure where the fundraising is. I think they just did a Series A um, and looking to expand out, going well. A um, bunch of the other companies from then, you know, Hacks 2, 3. By the time they got to 4, I was completely hooked. Um, right. and, uh, and then came on to Hacks 5. It's pretty incredible. So uh, maybe you can share with us a little bit about how how did you actually uh, get linked into? Uh, well, actually, uh, let's take a step back. Let's talk about um, SOSV, and maybe you can explain the model there because it's a little. I mean, it's not a pure v- VC model because you have the accelerators underneath it. So maybe you can explain that, and then you can explain how you kind of got introduced to that world. Right, yeah. So um, SOSV, the acronym is Sean O'Sullivan Ventures originally. So Sean is still the managing partner, very active. He had an early IPO. Uh, so he was aged 27 at the time um, with a company called Map, Map Info. Wow. Um, which was basically kind of, you know, the workings of what became Google Maps. So it was a mm-hmm. location-based search engine. Um, he did a lot of personal investments, pretty much, you know, I guess you'd call it a family office, Um Investing in all sorts of sectors was very successful um, in that. Turned I think around seven million dollars into, um, you know, almost half a billion dollars through investments. And <laughs> did some charitable donations, paid some tax. So and he, then, did, um, he did all right. <laughs> he, did, he did good. Yeah, he did good. Yeah. Um, he's definitely definitely knows what he's doing. Um, and um, you know, really, really through it, it was kind of his his observations that you you know the best time to get involved with a company within venture capital with investments is at the very earliest stage when they need the most help and that's where the most value is or mm-hmm. obviously then the, the very later stage is a huge amount of value in pre-IPO world um, and um, so you know <clears throat> the strategy kind of I guess ramped up towards us identifying that there were some growth areas mm-hmm. and which were underserved by the more generalist accelerators um, and those growth areas were hardware. Um, it was software for the Asia market with a particular focus on kind of into China and out of China um, and life sciences and and also food. And so, you know, rather than kind of being a typical VC that would come in at a seed stage, um, our model is to have these programs, which are very specialist. So, you know, we have a brand which is hacks and everybody knows about hacks for hardware, but doesn't necessarily know that actually Hacks and IndieBio and China Accelerator are all under one umbrella, which is SOSV. That's right. Um, so the idea is to get deep domain knowledge, um, build, build um, a really good network within those areas, and then any company that is you know, looking to grow their business within those um, exponential growth areas we've identified would look to us as the first point of call. Now, how we differ from other accelerators, though, is actually we really don't call ourselves that much of an accelerator anymore. We're kind of what we, we call ourselves program-based venture capital. What we mean by that is oftentimes accelerator, whereas the word describes exactly what it does, often can mean kind of more like an incubator um, with mm-hmm. a couple of staff, so free desk space. Um, right. Hacks is very, very different to that. So we don't do cohorts. Uh, we have a monthly intake. Uh, we have 25 full-time staff, full-stack engineering support. Um, we put a huge amount of emphasis on actually plug and playing our specialists, skilled engineers, designers, um, marketeers into the teams to help them grow as and when they need. Um, and then um, the other difference um, with us is that you know around two thirds of our fund is deployed post accelerator. 
So, you know, we don't just put money in and then kind of throw them all the wall and see what sticks. We really double down, triple down, quadruple down into the companies that we believe in because we've worked with them for a long time um, through through the course of the program. Okay, and so in addition to okay, so there's Hacks, IndieBio, China Accelerator. Is that are those the? I I, I think I, I want to say there's a, another one or two other verticals there's, that you mentioned. There's three. There's three more actually. Yes, there's um, within the life sciences. There's also Rebel Bio, which is in London. Right. Um, within the China Accelerator umbrella, there's also another one called Mox, which is mobile only accelerator, ah, um, right. based in Taiwan. Um, and then there is Foodex, which is in New York, looking at the future of food. That's fantastic. And uh, and outside of so SOSV, sort of like the umbrella underneath them, there are these very specialized uh, programs. Uh, outside of these six, I guess, uh, verticals, does SOSV invest elsewhere as well, or is it just purely into these uh, six programs? We have done. Um, and it's definitely something that we will look at doing again in the future. Um, but we've, over the past four years, we've really concentrated on what's been working super well for us, which has been the programs. Um, some other investments that we've made on the side, one just got acquired recently by Uber called Jump. Mm. Um, that was actually outside of an accelerator because we invested in them bef- just before Hacks had started. Um, that would have been a great candidate to go through Hacks. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so naturally, I guess uh, now that because your focus is on hacks and it's on hardware, um, you now you said that basically it's it's like rolling classes every month. What? Um, t- tell us a little bit about the hacks program. Uh, it just broad strokes. How how does one basically apply? How do you get? You know what happens once you you get accepted and enrolled. Uh, what does that all look like for for the uh, aspiring uh, hardware entrepreneur? Sure. Um, so we we've got these four areas that we talk about quite a lot, but honestly, you know, those areas are really meant to kind of cover every single possible hardware startup. If if a company doesn't fall into those, then we've probably done a bad job of formulating those four areas. Um, <laughs> but um, you know. A company comes to us, they're either in the kind of consumer technology space, um, which is really tough, um, but we do have some great successes there. Um, they're in the healthcare space, of which there's a lot of competition, mm. or they're in the enterprise and industrial areas. So <clears throat> enterprise industrials to us are just B2B investments. We, we um, partition those into two areas. Enterprise is more about sensing systems and software-based investments. Mm-hmm. Um, industrial is more about robotics and advanced manufacturing technology that's where there's a lot of um room for for, for companies to um to, to to have a successful entry into hacks right typical company will apply to us online um however the we get a huge number of applications online um we get a lot of bad applications online as well so mm. um definitely we notice that the companies that really stand out are the ones that somehow use their network get to us right. through another means as well. Right. Um, I don't want to give away those. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, use your imagination. An angel investor that we've co-invested with, a VC fund that's slightly later stage that regularly invests in our companies that yeah. might think they're too early but then refer us to them. You know, somebody that I'm personally connected with or that right. I've done um, business with, etc. 
Um, well, I think I I, th- I feel like with the what the world is very small and it's getting smaller now, especially with the internet. So if you don't if you don't use a little bit of creativity, then then it's almost yeah. shame on you. I mean, it's a red flag, right? No, seriously. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, yeah, the art of the pitch has is, is gotten much more easier for, for anyone uh, on, on a very base level. So if you can't even get that right, then uh, I feel like you're someone in your network, you should be able to be one or two degrees of separation away from knowing yeah. someone that is connected somehow to hacks. So, yeah. um, so listeners, please be resourceful. Uh, <laughs> but respectful um, of the people that you're asking for introductions of as well. It's a yeah. fine line to tread. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay. And so, so the application goes through, let's just, let's just walk through the sort of user experience, I guess. So, so let's yeah. say uh, we have a, we have a creative, uh, resourceful, um, opportunistic candidate that somehow gets a, gets a, gets an end and gets gets your attention so they get enrolled into the program what does that look like um is it cost money to to enroll um how long is the program there and i know that there's a element of it that is uh, i don't know if you guys still do this but there was an element that was a part time in the bay area as well right yeah so um once you've gone through all the due diligence processes and there's a couple of red flags within those um which we'll talk about later um then um you know, you're into the program. Um, you basically get given um, on our on our deal. It's $150,000 in cash, plus $100,000 in uh, services that we actually put on for you. So that's one for one what it costs us to to, to put the program on. Right. It's a two stage program. Um, you spend four to eight months on co development technology with us in Shenzhen to a point at which you basically got something which comes in working pro- proof of principle benchtop prototype comes out productized so it's gone through industrial design first revs it's been co-developed in the manufacturing capital of the world it's got all of the bill of materials at production grade sorted out and feasibility wise we know that it's 90 percent gonna gonna be able to be manufactured the way it is there's always room for error um but 90 percent there um, that then gives us, once we've seen a company go through that and providing you've gone through the series of milestones that we put um, for the founders, then we feel confident in introducing them to other investors. Mm. Um, so we take them to San Francisco if they are not a Chinese company. Um, and we basically embed them into the ecosystem there. We've got an office there. We've been operating for years. Um, we, <clears throat> we're predominantly looking to you know, help them with marketing and with traction, um, and then start conversations with some of the angels and the VCs in the Silicon Valley area. Right, and then is that sort of? Uh, I, I guess I guess is that sort of the graduation of the program, and then they kind of move on uh, off on their own, I suppose. Well, you know, they're all they're, they're, from then onwards they're part of the family. So we'll typically then invest um, in you know, around a third of the companies will will invest significantly into and then another half will 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 invest a reasonable amount too uh we don't take board seats generally um mm. a couple of ex- exceptions there but what we do want to do is make sure that we're continuing to support the startups in the best way that we can a lot of that is in um either help with product development and manufacturing within china so the teams are always welcome to come back to the office they always have access to resources they don't have the full-scale engineering time, but they have enough 
um, by that time that they can figure things out on their own. And, you know, we'll help them hire Chinese staff and generally just set up a presence in Shenzhen. Um, then also, we, we've kind of become a bit of a magnet for people looking for innovation, sourcing innovation. So we quite often find that either through our LPs or through our network, we're actually creating opportunities for our startups for continued um, sales growth. Right. I mean, it's it's a it yeah. I mean, it's a natural progression when you when you sort of cultivate this type of uh, this. I mean, you're basically a seeding, a, not like a you're uh, you're sprouting all these uh, startups. So there's naturally there's going to be uh, you know both directions. There's going to be uh, there's going to be a good knowledge flow and and uh, and reverse inquiries for for uh, for innovation as well. So it makes perfect sense. And also you know from the sounds of it, Duncan. I mean, your program is um, you know, like you said, you have what, what was it, 25 full-time employees that really, I mean, you're you're basically walking into like a a, a full-service <laughs> type of uh, almost like a like a campus where you basically can go in and and productize your 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 idea, so to speak. Totally. Um, you know, and one of the one of the uh, so so when you mentioned about uh, sort of uh, investing into these hardware startups, and I think that a lot of investors uh who haven't actually rolled up the sleeves and i i know i haven't personally um you know i i've never worked at a startup or or let alone hardware but the easier easier place of the two i think to start is is usually software uh tech when you're investing because uh the, the conceptually it's it's quite easy to understand and and also the uh, I feel like with hardware, it's like you can't just pivot an idea, right? There's like, <laughs> if you when once you start the the upfront sort of investment and capex required just to get that to the quote unquote MVP, I feel like is a lot higher of a dollar cost than 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 coding together uh, a, a, a software tech startup. So um, I think it's crucial, critical, like you said, that the investment and the actual hands-on mentoring and guidance comes as early as possible to get that proof of concept and that MVP up. Yep. We, we, we hope so. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Have there been any, out of curiosity, have there been any that have come through that have just been, you know, halfway through the, the first couple of months, you're just like, you know, I don't know what to do with, with this company. It's just not working out the way it's, it's supposed to be. Um, you know, and, and just, uh, you know, it just kind of fizzled out or like, how, how do you deal with that situation where something basically when you uh, accepted them into the program, obviously you have a very stringent screening process, but some obviously might slip through the cracks. Maybe once they get in, either the team isn't performing or maybe just the, the way the development of the product doesn't work out according to what you envisioned. How do you deal with those types of situations? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, also, and honestly, there's a spectrum of different answers there, depending on the reasons for, for, for things not working out. Um, uh, you know, we so the process that we have is um, basically you come in and then after 30 days, we've got to know you. And so together we, we, we figure out what are your milestones for the next 30 days. Um, and so that's kind of like a social contract between us. Um, mm. It's really kind of showing this is what, we think so. The way it typically works is me and me and um, G, who's the program director, and um, a couple of the other core staff will sit down and be like, "Okay, this is what we think this company should do," and then we put it on the table in front of the company, and, and then they say, "Yes, I accept. That's what we think we should do, and we think we could do that." Or they say, "No, no, we don't really want to 
quite do that. Um, but here's here's our version of it. Anyway, we come to, we come to an agreement, and um, that agreement is in place um, so that we can give the the right um, engineering resource or design resource, whatever it is, to help them get there. Because we, we kind of like group on by engineering and design and manufacturing resources, right. um, and then we have to allocate them in different ways. So we allocate all those resources, um, and then um, you know we get to the we get to the 60-day mark, and then um, there's a big presentation. Um, we'll quite often in, invite some investors within our community just to come in and, and mm-hmm. sit in more just to give feedback than anything else. Um, for the companies that haven't um, given us a good reason why they haven't got to their milestones, we give them another 30 days. Um, if they still haven't got there, then um, we basically tell them, look, we're just not really passionate about investing in this company. You guys, you know, will will take, um, you know, will come to an arrangement about how much equity we're going to leave you with. Um, you um, will not be making any extra payments to you right. until you do X, Y, and Z. Right. And then I've seen, and what's very interesting is a lot of the companies just, you know, they just fizzle out. Some of them, though, have this incredible transformative process where they do actually come in. I've been particularly impressed recently as well by, by one team. Um, that just kind of have a coming to Jesus moment, and then you know, they, they, they realize that we were actually serious. That you know, because I think a lot of people think, well, they've already put money in, so they're just going to keep it going. Like, no, because we're going to be inv- we're going to be introducing you to trusted investors, and like, actually, the you know, the relationship between us and another investor is incredibly important, more important than it is with us in a startup. Because right. if we give investors bad teams, then they're not going to invest in any of our companies anymore. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of the driving force behind that. And obviously we get things wrong sometimes, but we generally try. Yeah, I mean that's that's when it's the that's the reputational issue at that point. So yeah, well, I mean it's good to it's good to hear that some some startups get the the fire lit underneath them and uh, and, and are able to turn it around. Yeah. Um, I I I'm curious, and I I know that's probably running an accelerator. I mean, how, out of just ballpark, how many companies would you say on average a year? Go through your program. Thirty-six. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So uh. yeah, it was thirty-nine last year, I think. Yeah, it'd be around thirty-six this year. I'm thinking. That's 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 a lot of that's a lot of companies. Um, it's a lot of companies. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose it's a bit like having having thirty-six children every year, uh, and and <laughs> not not trying not to uh, to to trying to allocate your time accordingly evenly and fairly amongst all of them. But, uh, right. Um, are there any, I guess I, I can't really ask this question, but are there any, um, oh, not no, fr- favorites, not particularly favorites, <laughs> but okay. let's say, let's say not favorites, but let's say particular theme thematics of some of your, uh, companies that I've gone through that are particularly exciting that maybe are a bit unusual or not the usual thing that people hear when they think about hardware startups. So, like, I, I often say this, like, I, it's really bad, and people often turn off in conversation with myself, but I, I really like the really boring, dull stuff. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed at the moment with the construction industry. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, if you, wanna, if you do want to get my attention, show me that you're doing something in the construction industry to solve the massive problems they have with productivity, and I'll get really excited about it, because, yeah. you know, there's just so much value there, and you, know, you don't need to be doing something really glamorous. When you're in a startup that's doing well, everything is so exciting. And everybody around you is excited in the growth and seeing all these challenges and how you get over them and all the, 
you know the, the potential impact on industries so that's been that's been a good one for us um you know energy in a thing where you're saving tiny little amounts of energy in lots of homes or lots of areas is generally a very good thing and a nice area to be investing in um my personal passion is in the healthcare space um mm. because i just feel like you know even though it's you know it's rightfully um bogged down with regulation on, on um, compared to any other industry the, the the possibilities of impact are just phenomenal you know just save one person's life or help them have a better life through the work you've done with with, with a startup then you know who cares about being successful and rich that's that's really that's really one of the incredible things and within healthcare at the moment there's this really interesting trend um enabled by hardware it's, basically kind of distributed medical device technology into consumer-based products. So giving you the types of um, analytics and the types of diagnosis that you would get in a hospital, in the home, for less than 500 bucks. Wow. That world is just about to kick off. There's, we've been done a bunch of investments in the space. It's something that, you know, is, is, a, is, is truly a great thing to leave on, 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 on the world. Yeah, I think that's, uh, so yeah, the healthcare thing is, is um, it, it, it's one of those, it's a tricky area, and I feel like, uh, but I feel like I agree with you that we're on the verge that one of these companies, or, or maybe a handful of them, when they, when they kind of hit that inflection point and are able to, to disrupt it, um, it's just a huge, and, and particularly if, if you're actually looking at Chinese startups that are doing that, that yep. are able to tackle that market. I mean, talk about the macro tailwind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To your other point uh, on the sort of boring stuff, um, uh, I, I, it's funny because uh, it's you know it reminds me of uh, the conversation we had on on the way back from uh, from that dinner from Shenzhen. I'm not going to name the startup uh, particularly, but I remember when when you told me about this particular one that was going through your batch, that it was kind of one of those like, wait, I can't believe that no one's yeah. come up with this Why thing hasn't before. Done that? Yeah, yeah, it's such an easy, simple concept, but. Yeah. Um, again, within the construction space, so that's pretty cool. Um, so, Duncan, um, just a few more questions. Looking here to wrap up, and uh, and thanks again for for the time. And it's been it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure hearing and learning about hacks. I'm sure the audience listening in are, are going to be uh, anyone that's in hardware is, is going to be pretty excited to hear this uh, this episode. Um, what are your sort of goals uh, looking forward for both the accelerator and on the on the venture? Uh, VC side um, for I guess th through the end of the year and into next year. I mean, obviously, um, you you have your hands full there. But are there any particular milestones that you're you're looking forward to? Um, so you know, I, I mean, obviously we've got internal KPIs which measure our performance on how the value of our startups is increasing the whole time. Um, for me, though, you know. There, there are a couple of things that we're really, really excited about. We want to continue to grow. One of them is actually investing in Chinese startups. So mm -hmm. for me, as I mentioned at the start of the show, like I've, I came here a long time ago and I, I, you know, I was very much the guy that came out here to get things made and that battled with the engineers and couldn't really understand why things weren't going the way that I thought they should be going. And, and right. for me, the, the experience of now investing in the, you know the same i mean not the same people but the same people as you know young chinese engineers um but you know half generation later um has been the most 
fascinating but also completely humbling experience of my life like it, it's just incredible like we invest in some robotics companies in the u.s that are great um and you know they're providing some awesome impact um in the states and then we and and you know i see the growth of those companies and then and then i look at the same company from china looking at the chinese market and it's just staggering the speed at which they move the potential market they have and the openness to adoption of, of robotics in the service-based industries and the manufacturing-based industries is is literally one of the most humbling things in the world. And, you know, for us, we just want to make sure that we're continuing to grow that and to understand more and to play our little tiny part in what's becoming the most exciting innovation country of the world, which is China. It's uh, it's kind of hard to to explain it to people that actually aren't uh, in this in living over here and 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 watching this happen firsthand. And at the same token, you know, you and I have both been here for uh, you know well over a decade, and and it's not, at, oftentimes we're kind of we've kind of gotten numb to it because they're or immune or, or it's just kind of like life here. Right. Mm. Um, but a perfect example is, is that big investor group that we brought over. And, and a lot of these guys, you know, I mean, it's just mind blowing. They yep. were, their, their minds were literally blown as they were walking through your accelerator space there, seeing your companies present and this sort of thing. And, and uh, we're sitting on the, in, on the front row seat of, um, of what could be, uh, I and mean, what will be the next great sort of, uh, area of growth and uh, and revolutionary uh, technology and innovation that will happen um, in China and in the world. So I think it's it's just fascinating to be sitting there, you know, having those front row seats. It's incredible. Um, you see the future walk through the door every day. It's really incredible. Yeah, it 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 really is, and it's um it, it yeah again it's hard to explain it because you you can you can read about it, you watch watch shows and documentaries and stuff, but to actually live it and see it every day, it's pretty incredible. Um, last couple questions, Duncan. Thanks again for your time, and um, I wanna I always like to leave with asking my show guests, particularly ones with entrepreneurial backgrounds or startup backgrounds, such as yourself, um, if there's a a piece of entrepreneurial advice that you could give. Uh, let's say particularly to say a hard, uh, hardware startup uh, founder, um, in addition to applying to hacks, of course, and getting mm. some help there. Um, you know, if they if they want to somehow uh, try to make it and and be successful, um, you know, what what's one piece of advice that you could leave our audience with? Okay, this is going to sound weird, but don't think of yourself as a hardware startup. So. <laughs> So one of the biggest problems that we have in explaining what we do, I mean, we're a hardware program. We, we do the hardware bit, but we do not invest in companies that are trying to make money from selling hardware. Mm. Um, and this is one of the biggest challenges for a lot of inventor type, very talented people that have this right. great idea and then immediately think about monetizing it by selling it as a product, standalone product to a customer that we know they have. That can work. And we do do a few investments like that, candidly. But... 90% of our companies are, um, are selling a service, particularly if they're a robot, sell a service right. or a robot. Um, they are enabling some software on their hardware, and the hardware is literally just trying to you know, get their software out there. Hardware is difficult to develop, as you were saying earlier, but it's very easy to sell. And um, recurring revenue from software is fantastic. So if you, mm. get your, if you can enable recurring revenue from software through a simple piece of hardware, that's just a cost of acquisition cost, not a hardware cost. Um, right. Or go deep with, into science, like get a scientist on board. We've got a bunch of PhDs in the office, the, the CTO, the CSO of the company. You know, the CEO is typically kind of this visionary who's got a real problem with the world and wants to 
changed something about it and then they've found this scientist who can actually unlock some of that problem and solve it with with a particular revolutionary bit of research best bit of advice i give though never ever ever do it for the money you go down <laughs> you go down that i know it's a cliche but like it's so true with hardware like if you go down that route it's not going to work out you're going to get incredibly upset with the situation you're in because you'll have to persist for years and years and years until you actually make the impact you want to it's better to be um, driven by a passion for changing the world in one particular way something Sean always said to me and it's 100 percent true i've fallen for that trap myself yeah i mean i i have too and i think a lot of a lot of people do it's, it's hard i mean look it's one of those things that you you hear it's a cliche but it's hard to to follow because i mean money is what makes the world go around so yeah. to speak but and there's always someone who's made loads of money telling you that i'm not one of those people there's yeah, always someone exactly. <laughs> like, easy for you to say because you've got this money but yeah. i know i love that don't you love that <laughs> yeah it's, it's always the, the the people that are wildly successful yeah. saying. it's like okay cool i'll say that too when i'm on the other side right <laughs> yeah but well, you know live by that rule seems to work out quite well yeah, I love it. I love it. But yeah, you do bring up a good point, though. I mean, again, in hardware, if you're if you're going through, you're stuck in this process where it's you, you, it's hard to pivot, and you can't, and you're you're you know people have invested capital in you, and they're expecting you to come through. Um, you know, and, and you might not see that money ever, but you better yep. come through, uh, follow through on your 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 word, I guess. So. Yep. Um, all good advice, all great stuff. Thank you so much, Duncan. It's been such a pleasure. Um, last Thanks question is me. just where people can find you, follow you, connect with you, or maybe Ooh. apply to the program. Yep, yep. There's an, so go to hacks.co. There's an apply button. Um, <laughs> if you're if you've got a working proof of principle prototype and you've got a reasonable team with a cap table which is not all distorted, um, you will most likely get to speak to me on a thirty minute interview. Wow, there you go. Uh, so for all the listeners listening in, audience, uh, yeah, go over, go over to. We'll have all the show notes and and, and links linked up. Um, and uh, yeah, you know maybe. Maybe uh, we'll get some uh, some creative people that are that actually try to ping me to get in contact with you. Who knows? <laughs> that might happen. You go from the floodgates. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank Duncan. Thanks so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to uh, to hearing uh, for, from a lot more of uh, the great startups uh, and innovative companies that are coming out of your program. Thanks again. Cheers, Jake. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? 
After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under three hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.